Hello and welcome to Helpline on Feed, Play, Love. It is Helpline Relationships, our last one with Kirsty Levin, psychologist from the Parents mm-hmm. Village. Kirsty has very kindly stepped into um, this position while Chris Minogue, our Mothercraft nurse, has been away for the past month or so. Mm-hmm. Cannot believe this is our last session I know. with you, Kirsty. It's gone quickly. Um, but Kirsty's here to answer um, your questions you might have about relationships, which we know change a lot after you have a baby. And Mm. these relationships include everything from your partner to your parents to your siblings to your friends. It's it's sort of all touches on everything. Yeah. Um, So if you want to ask a question and you're watching us live on Facebook, just pop your question underneath the video that you're watching now, or you can call us on one eight hundred five four three double seven two. Now you can't email us anymore because Kirsty won't be here next week to answer your questions. So that is probably your only opportunity to (laughs) ask questions is to ask them live. You could direct mail us if you want to um, remain anonymous or even anonymous. Anonymous. (laughs) That's right. big week, people. Yes. (laughs) So um, you can do that as well. But we'll start with the questions that we have so far. Let's get right in. Okay. Hi, Kirsty. Do you have any ideas on how to keep our relationship going? My husband and I had our first child, now 10 weeks old, and things have been rough. Rough. We were always bickering and had big fights. We seem to have gone past that around eight weeks after I revealed to him that I felt resentful that he did not support me through labor. He slept through it. Mm. <laughs> no excuse for that, yep. which he has accepted and I have now come to terms with. We are now somewhat into a pattern with our son. However, I'm usually exhausted when my husband gets home from work and want to talk but can't. On weekends, we may squeeze in a conversation here and there, but not guaranteed. We don't have family help, family to help. We've just started getting our son down by eight o'clock each night, but I'm spending it expressing and then passing out. Mm. I'm, ex- I'm expressing it exclusively as I've had breastfeeding issues, so I expect... I express seven times a day. That's heaps. Holy moly. Yes. Yeah. So that is a lot. Mm. And I would probably want to think about that first. Yeah. Because that's the first thing that jumps out at me, that this poor mum is is really held captive for a lot of her day expressing milk, which would be really emotionally and physically draining um, and would definitely prevent you from being able to interact with your baby and your partner um, because it does sap a lot of time away. So I guess my first inkling would be, oh, maybe she needs to connect with a lactation consultant or a GP or similar specialist who can help guide her on whether or not pumping that often a day is actually um, advisable, recommended, and also, you know, something that she could do long term because it doesn't sound like it would be something you'd be able to main long term maintain long term and it would have an impact on the relationship so that to me would be step one because yep. it's compromising your ability to interact and enjoy yourself potentially in that experience in the fourth trimester so that brings me to the next sort of thought process which is they are in the trenches in the fourth trimester yep. no doubt they're both recovering from the initial you know, transition into early parenthood. They've got a newborn that's extremely unpredictable. So it's no doubt that they simply sort of have to survive through the first 12 weeks with a baby. And with that comes a need to maybe adjust their expectations of how they're going to interact with each other for a certain period of time. And maybe they haven't had that conversation yet openly 
to, um, you know, talk about what their expectations are, talk about what the realities are in contrast, and to maybe come to an agreement that this is just a period of time that we have to just get through. We have to figure out how we work as a team. We may not be able to connect as deeply as we would like over this period of time. But if we can work as a team and collaborate as best as we can to take care of the baby and take care of ourselves, maybe they can agree that that's the most that they can do to optimise that current situation and that that will change over time. Um, Maybe there's room for a conversation about needs and possible resentment that's still brewing beneath the surface. So it sounds like she said she seems to have dealt, I think the word seems, seems (laughs) to have dealt with the problem initially of that birth period being compromised a little bit. Um, But if there's any bubbling resentment or unmet needs still in the background, that's definitely going to impact her desire to want to connect with her partner down the track. And so I think there just has to be an open slate conversation about how they're both feeling and how they're both coping with early parenthood without trying to lay any blame, but instead by focusing on what their needs are in the situation, what they really need to feel good about themselves and what they might need from each other to feel good about their partnership and perhaps as part of that as part of that conversation they can talk about how can we maybe carve out some me time to help us feel whole sane (laughs) you know taking care of ourselves and how can we maybe start to carve out a little bit of we time where we actually do more than just play passing ships in the night because I think it was mentioned that they have a fleeting conversation here or there on the weekend And I would be asking why. What are they doing together or separately that's causing that mismatch on the weekends when they're both present, I would imagine, with their newborn? So something has to shift there in the way that they decide to engage with each other for the wee time. And maybe they just decide, well, look, if I'm going to be pumping seven times a day for the time being and we have to look after bub, maybe we carve out that wee time with the baby in bed with us in the morning for those first 10 minutes when everyone's awake at 5 or 6 a.m. or whatever (laughs) ungodly hours babies wake up. And maybe we have a beautiful snuggle together and cuddle in bed and have a quick conversation there. But let's decide which pockets of time we're going to consciously connect with each other and make sure that we cultivate that that friendship and that love again. Yeah, and I I mean, just from my own experience, that first year, mm. I, I reckon my husband and I, we just spent the whole year snapping at each other and yeah, we were normal. so tired. And yeah. I, the things that we used to argue about, I look back now and think, wow, what yeah. was that about? I remember just, it would take us half an hour to decide how we were going to take her for a walk in the pram. Yep. And I think now, what was going on in my head that that was such yeah. a huge thing? But there is yeah. so much going on. And absolutely. It's, it's like you're on another planet. Yes. When, you're, when your cup is absolutely empty and you're stretched to the max, yep. like depleted, you know, it's no wonder that the tiniest, stupidest, most, you know, silliest things become the biggest issue. Yeah, and it's especially like, when it's yeah. about a baby because you're trying to keep yeah. them alive. You've never done it before, but you yeah. think you should know exactly what you're doing. Yeah, it's a steep learning curve. I'm so so glad it takes my time. children are old. <laughs> it's beautiful, yeah. Yeah. but I'm glad that they, you know, yeah, they, they walk out the door now, yeah. which is nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this question is about rowdy neighbours. My kids like to pay, play with a neighbouring family's kids, but I don't like their lifestyle of daydream loud partying and adult content on the TV all day. 
Their kids are out in the street alone day and night. Happy for them to play at our place, but that means they are here all the time. How can I steer clear of my kids going over there without seeing rude and without making the children feel bad when it's not their fault? Mm, okay. That's tough, isn't it? Yeah, that is tough. Because I think like we've said before, you can control your own environment and how you monitor and supervise your kids, but you can't control how other people choose to do that. And it's not really your right um, to inform other people on how to do that, um, unless it's encroaching on your own ability to parent your kids. So on one hand, um, if the parent is starting to view this scenario a little bit negatively, like the kids are always at our house, God, it's a pain in the bum. Is there a chance to maybe do a little bit of a quick reframe there to say, actually, in this overall scenario, isn't it great that our house is the hangout house? Like, isn't that awesome that our kids and the neighbor, neighbor's kids feel really safe and comfortable coming to our place where I can safely monitor them, I can supervise their activities, and I feel really comfortable and calm, you know, and content with that situation. That's actually a plus, not a negative. So there's a little bit of opportunity to reframe to see the positives rather than the negatives. But then, on the other hand, if it's starting to become a little bit too much, it's pushing the boundaries, pushing the privacy a little bit further than you'd like, um, then I think it's time to set a few boundaries. But you need to set the boundaries with the kids, not the neighbours necessarily, unless there's something extra going on. So I would say, depending on the kid's age, um, explain to them very simply, very clearly, the reason why you might have to um, minimise um, the number of times that the kids come over to your place or setting boundaries in place in terms of you not being comfortable with them going over to the other neighbour's home where you don't feel like they're going to be monitored or supervised to your preferences. So in terms of them not going over, you might say something like, look, I understand that you love playing together. And I'm comfortable with them coming here. But I don't always feel comfortable when you go over to their home because I'm unable to monitor you or supervise you in the way that I feel comfortable and calm and happy. So for the time being, I'd prefer if you stay on this side of the fence. And because the kids are coming over a lot, there are times when we need alone time family time or time to do our own activities with other friends and other people. So maybe there's room for implementing a bit of a strategy here. And the first thing I can think of is like, you know, when you go to those South American um, churrasco restaurants and they have the green and red stop and go, like I'm starving, give me food with the green, <laughs> the green block, and you stop with the red when you say you're full. Oh, well, that's a, I've um, never seen that, but that sounds amazing. Right. So I was thinking like the traffic light color coding system might work really well with little kids. So get a green ribbon and a red ribbon or a green sticker and a red sticker and stick it on your front door. And you tell the neighbor's kids when the red sticker's on the front door, it means we're having family time or we're out of the house and we're busy and you can't come over to play today. When we've got the green sticker on the door, feel free to knock. We're happy to have you over to play with us today. And that's like a simple and easy to understand little framework to get everyone on the same page. Yeah. It's, it is tricky though, isn't it? When you And also not wanting to tell someone else how to parent Yeah, and, and your kids are just gravitating and you're like, um, exactly. what do we do? Yeah. And look, unless the children are behaving in a way that concerns you, that encroaches on your family dynamic that you don't feel comfortable with, then you might go over and speak to the neighbours. But 
in any other case, you would keep that to yourself and try and contain it. Yeah. I think. Yep. Awkward. Yeah. <laughs> Tricky, but I know, hate being an doable. Adult. It is doable. Yeah. You're talking. This is the the Kirsty is the best adult. She's very good at adulting. <laughs> trying, not always, but trying. Yep. I love it. every time yep. you give advice. I'm like, oh, I hope I could do that. Um, this one says, "Hi, I'm raising two boys, and I'm very conscious about." not raising slobs. Mm. I don't want my son's future partner to resent me and also they need life skills. I get my boys to pull their weight all the time, but their dad doesn't cook, cleans, but not as much as I do and doesn't think to put on a load of washing. How can I talk to him about setting a good example? Okay. Well, that's an interesting one. Doesn't want the kids to be slobs. Okay. So the first thing that I'm thinking of is, oh my gosh, there are so many amazing resources out there on raising boys today, especially Australian resources to tap into as well. So there's fantastic books and um, websites um, written by Maggie Dent, for example, um, by Stephen Bidolf, Raising yes. Boys in the 21st Century, I think it's called. And then there's psychologist um, Michael Carr Gregg, who wrote that book, um, Prince Buffhead Syndrome, or something yes, around no, that's it. along those lines. Yeah. And those are fantastic books that you might be able to read together if you can encourage your partner to read together to create some sort of baseline starting point of self awareness and awareness of the dynamic of raising. Um, so when you say boys. read together, how do you mean? Like, you... Well, I think you could suggest to your partner, look, I found this amazing resource, which actually, you know, will help to teach us a few things, but help to help for, help us to become much more aware about how we're interacting with our kids. If you're willing to read it and we can sort of reflect on it together, maybe it'll help us to get onto the same page and think of some strategies where we're aligned and where we agree with the I approach. I had this vision of you reading together. <laughs> <laughs> no, not sitting down and actually like going, oh, look at that. No. Yep. So I think read it separately, but then come together to discuss it. Yep. And those books are really easy to read. They're not written in an overly theoretical, scientific manner. They're written for everyday, normal people who just want some tips and tricks and strategies and if you read them soon enough and not wait till they're teenagers then you can actually implement some of those ideas early on Um, so to me that would be a great starting point to build a bit of self-awareness and also get a bit of an objective point of view because when you come into these conversations with your partner and you're already thinking well my husband's a bit of a slob so my kids might become a bit of a slob you're coming from a bit of a negative perspective and That also made me think of the idea that, right, so maybe he's not great at housework, for example, but maybe there's an opportunity to think more objectively about or more rationally about where do you have your strengths and weaknesses in this partner and parenting dynamic. So whilst the mum might be fantastic at the emotional regulation and and also doing some of the domestic household work and and teaching the kids on how to be responsible in that way. Perhaps the dad is fantastic at completely different things. Perhaps he's showing the way as far as teaching them some great sporting activities and taking them out on the weekends. Perhaps he's supporting them educationally on the side and reading books to them. Who knows what he's doing in the background? It might not be 50-50 in every single task, but it might be a balance of other things that they're good and not so good at. So I think it's important to take a very open, broad mindset approach about the things that you should tackle and negotiate together. And it doesn't always have to be identical. But then I think there's 
equally an opportunity to sit down and talk about your roles and responsibilities as guides, as mentors, as um, mirrors for your children, as role models for your children to say, what do we want our children to see in us? What ultimately do you want your children to mirror of your behavior? And what do you think is acceptable and not acceptable as they grow up? And how can we make sure that we both emulate that for them as in the best way possible? So can we renegotiate how we might alter our behavior in certain situations so that we're on the same page when it comes to being the best possible role models for our kids? So maybe he decides, yes, he'll put on a load of washing here and there even more and teach the kids how to use the washing machine at the same time. What a great opportunity to double up on both of those issues. Um, And maybe conversely, she will, you know, participate more in some of the activities that the dad was doing before so that they have a balanced approach to some of those tasks. Mm. Yeah. It's such an interesting um, aspect to look at it as, you know, it doesn't have to be 50-50 because sometimes you can really get your back up going, hold on a minute. But if you stop and look at another part of your family life and you can say, oh, but they do do this. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We can't all be perfect at everything. No. Yeah. Kirsty Levin and Helpline Relationships on Feed, Play, Love will be back answering more questions right after this. When you become a parent, you enter an exclusive club, one that only other parents can truly understand. I spent a lot of time running and yelling names. Come back, get back here. But I bought him one of those backpacks that had a lead, like, you know, a monkey one. Because it doesn't look as bad. Yeah, like a disguise. (laughs) The Parent Panel is a weekly podcast that invites adults to ponder the big questions of looking after small children with more than a bit of humour mixed in. Join us for The Parent Panel wherever you get your podcasts. Now back to your questions with Helpline Relationships and Kirsty Levin. Hi, Kirsty. I need some advice. My best friend is stuck in a bad marriage with two small kids. It's not abusive or anything like that, but she's really unhappy. She has left her husband three times, twice before kids and one since. Mm. Each time she leaves, she unloads all her unhappiness on me. And while I am sympathetic and supportive... It makes things really awkward when she returns to her husband again. I know too much about their relationship and it's hard for me to forgive his behavior once they are all loved up again. I really don't know how to explain this to my friend and still be supportive. Help. Oh, gosh. That is really hard to explain to your friend if you're feeling a real sense of frustration and awkwardness and discomfort with being told so much information because you can't act on it. You can only really sit and listen and empathize and ask questions at the end of the day as a friend. I think it's really important to recognize your own place in this dynamic first to say that um, to yourself, you are a friend, you're a sounding board, but you're not their savior. At the end of the day, you can't make the decision for them. You can't tell them what to do because that could definitely come back to bite you in the bum later down the track. All you can do is lend a really good ear and maybe help them to see a different perspective at times and help them um, to question intentions, question behavior from a different angle or a different perspective, because also they have to remember they're only getting one side of the story as a friend. So they really need to be careful about reserving their judgment if possible And questioning whether they are an impartial person in this situation because they are only getting half of the of the story. And I'm sure the partner on the other side has all sorts of interesting things to say as well 
that, you know, contributes to that dynamic. We just never know what goes on behind closed doors. And even when someone relays their experience, it's not necessarily all the facts. There's a lot of emotion that clouds the facts. So that's really tricky to begin with. And that's their part to play in the friendship is purely to listen and be a sounding board and not to judge. But what they can do, I guess, moving forward is, like I said, help them to see a more um, balanced perspective of the different situations this girlfriend is relaying to her, help them to maybe realize their sense of self-worth and to help her build her self-esteem and her confidence in what she needs out of life and what she needs out of a relationship and what what makes her feel good about herself and what she feels she deserves. So that's sort of an open-ended conversation with your friend about, you know, what makes you tick and what do you want out of this whole scenario? What do you want to push back on? What do you want to gain from this? What do you want to work hard on? What do you not want to work hard on? And that's a more general conversation about her as a person and what she needs out of life. And I think at the end of the day, she's got to realize she has, she's gone out of the relationship and tested what it's like outside the relationship. So she's already got a perspective of what it's like apart and what it's like together and there's a there must be a reason why she's going back each time so I guess there's a there's a chance to have a conversation around is she going back because of fear or is she going back because she really wants to work on on fixing and resolving all these issues from the past and she believes that change can happen and she's confident that change can happen or is she going back because of that sense of fear and insecurity and whatever that is. And they're two separate things to help to support your friend on as well. They're two separate conversations, I guess. And with that um, idea that it's sort of ongoing, is there ever a time, because I know I've been in situations before where um, friends might be in a situation maybe over a breakup or something and they're mm. feeling... Um, they want to talk about that breakup mm. all the time and that person all the time. And sometimes I feel like you're being an enabler. Like yeah. I personally feel like, oh, I'm enabling this wallowing in yeah. Um, yeah. pain and misery. Yeah. It, could this person also be feeling that way because it keeps going on? Absolutely. And so I think depending on the level of comfort and, and strength of that relationship, there might come a time when they need to say, I'm really sorry, I love you more than anything else and I absolutely want to support you, but I kind of have to draw a line in the sand because I'm getting to a point where I'm not quite sure I can I can help you in any other way other than to just listen, but it's starting to affect me emotionally and I feel like I'm sort of being backed into a corner. And also I've heard some friends in the past say to each other, I know that you're wallowing in this and there's a complete sense of despair, but we've been talking about this and going over the same ground for the last six to 12 months. And there comes a time when you and I both have to say to each other, we have to stop this. We have to start figuring out how to move forward and make a positive change Mm. rather than being stuck like concrete in the negativity of it all. Because even though you you want to listen, sometimes if you listen all the time, it's like, well, how are we moving forward? Yeah, absolutely. Um, All right. Well, I hope that one works out. (laughs) This one says, hi, Kirsty. I'm a new mum and on mat leave, but I'm so lonely. I crave my husband coming home because he's my best friend, but I feel at sea when he's at work. I know I need mum friends, but I don't know how to reach out. Any suggestions? Mm. How divine is it that she says her husband is her best friend? I think that's yeah. lovely to start with. Um, yeah, motherhood in the early days is so lonely and so isolating, particularly if you don't have other 
friends who are already close friends of yours that have had kids at the same time. So it sounds like she's kind of starting from scratch. Mm. Um, I would probably ask the question, what's stopping you from getting out there? Is it... Um, is there some sort of concern behind the scenes that's that's creating a boundary or a wall for you um, at this stage? So do you feel really um, lacking in confidence around how you get your baby out of the house, for example, which can be a massive challenge? Do you feel um, uncertain or insecure about yourself and how you can socialize and just say hi to people and be brave and get out there and, and test things out? Um, so what is it behind the scenes? Do you feel physically lacking in confidence? Um, you know, if you can tap into the cause of that boundary or the wall that you're setting up for yourself, that can actually help to come up with the appropriate solution for you. Um, so for example, if you're um, really feeling socially isolated, maybe you want to take some baby steps by getting virtually connected or online connected with um, a new mother's group of some sort. Um, so I mean, we all know, for example, that there are many, many Facebook pages and many, many private Facebook groups that new mums can join. There's Mums the Word, which is um, catering to most of Sydney and Australia um, broad. There's Mama Tribe, which is a fantastic resource, for example. And they're just the um, social media pages. But then there's also some brilliant apps where you can connect initially in a more distanced fashion, like the Peanut app, which is like Tinder dating for new mums. And then there's the Mush app. I don't know if you say Mush or Mush, whatever it is. <laughs> um, but that's also a fantastic app connecting mums together. And in that way, there's a bit of an easing in to getting to know each other, right? You get to post a couple of messages. You get to create your own profile. You get to ask a few questions of each other before you decide to then step outside your comfort zone and meet each other face to face. So I would say engage online to begin with to get more comfortable and see who you feel is a little bit like-minded to you and maybe use those online platforms to search for some local opportunities that you can then engage in face to face. So in your local area, is there a local playgroup? And Playgroups New South Wales is one resource you can tap into. Is there a local exercise group? What a fantastic way to combine your need for exercise with also bringing your bub along. Like there are jogging with bubs groups and yoga with bubs groups and all those sorts of things. Um, is there a local... Um, um, sort of activity or class you could do like a music class with babies, a massage class with your baby, for example, where you have a sense of purpose. So you're going there to do something and learn something, but then there's also the optional extra of maybe meeting someone on the side. And again, I think that's the next step up of, of engaging without it being too daunting. And then the third level up is the face-to-face -face connection that you might find in the playground or going to one of those kinder gym type activities um, or play group activities um, because that's really where you have to put yourself out there more obviously where you have to walk up to someone and say, hi, I'm Kirsty. you know, I've got a newborn too. You look like you're struggling. Do you want to, you know, chill out together and let the kids play together? Yeah. Um, so I think if you're feeling uncertain or cautious and lacking confidence, do it in that sort of phased or graded manner to sort of slowly build up your sense of connection and take those baby steps gradually to move mm. out. Yeah. yeah. We have time for one more question. Hi, my partner and I no longer share a bed. Our sons have stolen it and he often sleeps um, on the couch when they 
bed hop. I love co-sleeping with my little ones and feel this is what they need, want at this point in their childhood. My partner agrees. What are some strategies for bringing back intimacy into our relationship when we no longer share a bed? Mm, that's really tricky. So I'd sort of be thinking, what, what's the age of the kids at the moment? And, um, and when she says that they both agree that it's working for them at this point in time, I think that's fair enough. But sleeping on a couch doesn't sound very comfortable long term. So I would imagine that that would be something you have to talk about at a certain point in time because maybe the partner is agreeing to keep the peace and to cultivate that beautiful bond and connection with the kids. But whether or not that's a great solution long term, I'm not so sure. I'd probably question that and decide a point in time when maybe they can discuss whether they start gradually moving the kids into their own space or into a bed next to their bed, for example. Or getting a California Exactly, a massive bed, whatever (laughs) brings the husband back into the fold. Because you don't want to keep him on the outer for too long. I think that's unfair to expect him to sleep on the couch long term. (laughs) No one wants to sleep on a couch long term. No, I don't even want to sleep on a couch for one night. (laughs) Exactly. So that's the first thing that comes to mind. Um, I think in terms of the concept of intimacy, there are so many different layers of intimacy. There's intimacy in terms of your feeling of connection, emotional connection, which is often a stronger requirement for the female in the dynamic. And so what opportunities can they cultivate together for that emotional, social connection to each other? And maybe that's about having nice conversations at the end of the day with each other about, I think we were saying last week, um, in relation to another couple, talking about their hopes and dreams and sharing desires and sharing memories and and coming together to, to create common meaning together as a, as a couple but also sharing needs and and feelings and emotions about what's happening in the family dynamic at the moment because when you go deep, you connect with each other emotionally. And then I guess there's that next layer of intimacy, which is about physical affection without it being sexual intimacy. So what opportunities do they have throughout the day and across the week to physically connect with each other, whether it's a kiss in the morning, whether it's a a cuddle together, whether it's holding hands in the evening when they watch TV together, just simple moments of touch and connection. And I think some of the research is now indicating that we need to spend, you know, 10 to 15 seconds kissing each other directly to really cultivate that bond and that we have to double the amount of time that we hug each other and hold hands. And that really strengthens that sense of affection and intimacy um, in a couple. Um, And then there's the third piece How can they cultivate that sexual intimacy when they're not in the bed together? So if that's obviously happening at night time when the kids are in bed, there has to be another time of day, maybe. Or the couch. Yeah, maybe. That's right. (laughs) That they carve out together and assign for Mm. sexual intimacy. Maybe it's a period of time when the kids are being minded by family or friends in the day and they take half an hour to have a bit of fun together at home, (laughs) you know, um, but they, I think it has to be a conscious decision. Get a lock on the door. That's Absolutely. <laughs> yes, yes, 100%. Lock the door and tell no one to come over. Um, you know, maybe it's having a shower together in the morning when the kids are watching TV. Who knows? You know, wherever you can carve out that moment for physical and sexual intimacy, I think it has to be a really conscious, agreed decision together. Mm. Yeah. And I'd have to say that with uh, my husband and I sleep in separate 
bed. So we got to a point where we were like, we're just going to get a double bed for one of the kids. Yeah. And so he sleeps with one child in there and I somehow managed to queen-size bed on my own. <laughs> and sometimes my daughter will come in to, to our bed and it works apart from the fact that my husband snores and he know, everybody right. knows my husband snores. <laughs> but what we found was that what we missed most about not sharing a bed, so um, physical intimacy can happen at different times mm. and my children are very good at being glued to television. So that's, that's often a good time for us. Mm-hmm. But what we missed was actually lying next to each other in the morning. Yeah, and touching each other. And, and yeah. talking. Because yeah. that's when we had our conversation. So, of course, we talk through the day and we talk on weekends. But yeah. it's often very, um, like you were saying with the first question, I think. Mm. It was often very practical things about the kids or what we did for the day or what was happening. Yeah. But the mornings where we would lie next to each other was when... We'd have fun conversations where yep. we'd laugh or we'd, you know, yeah, have absolutely. that time. And so we just started saying, um, especially on weekends, because who has time during the week? Yes, exactly. Even if you are sharing a bed, who yes. has time during the week? Yeah. Um, that we would make that time just to be next to each other. Mm. Yeah, I, mm. I really think that that's so important. But that's a real conscious decision that you yes. made together. To you say, have to do Let's it. just lie down in bed and have a 15-minute power snooze where we just chit-chat and lie and relax together. Yeah. What a beautiful thing to be able to do. Yeah, and, it, and it, yeah. we actually had to recognize that that's what we missed mm, yeah um but so yeah and also the you lock do on naturally. the door very oh yes <laughs> yes get that lock it's yep. quite funny because we've, we've had the haven't really worried about the lock but then the other <laughs> the other day we had the lock on the night i thought they were asleep and then we hear this tapping on the door and i'm like oh my god so we quickly you know getting ready we open wow. the door and my daughter i'm not kidding you she was standing at the front door not the front door but the bedroom yeah. door just with this look on her face like she didn't know what, what was happening doing yeah. But she was just like really suspicious. You need the green and the red. You need the green, <gasps> green sticker and the red sticker. That is such a good like, idea. Right, red's on. Can't go near this door today. That's oh, it. That's not my kids. Yeah. I'll be red sticker. <laughs> Let me in. Well, um, Kirsty, that's that's it for us well, and nice. your help with it's relationships. Thank it's you been so, a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. I've learned a lot. <laughs> This has been Helpline on Feed, Play, Love, hosted by me, Siobhan Hunt. As I mentioned before, Chris Minogue is back next week, so if you'd like to ask her any questions on the next episode of Helpline, you can email them to us directly. The email is helpline at theparentbrand.com.au. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced by Debbie Ning and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. We'd love to hear from you, so if you'd like to get in touch, email us at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.